Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Church. It was a great day yesterday at um, Pete and Bev's wedding, and um, it was great honour for me to. They asked me, in case you don't know, Bev and I, she works with me, so um, she'd asked me to bring something on her wedding day, which I thought was a great honour. And um, <clears throat> the very interesting thing is that on Friday, um, we had a wedding at the hospice. Now, we do sometimes have weddings at the hospice, and of course, they're because people are imminently dying and they want to get married before they die. And the paradox of Friday and Saturday for me was just massive. I was so overwhelmed yesterday because on Friday the wedding was at 10 o'clock and the groom it was who was dying came and, um, and, and they had the civil service uh, in the grounds. It was a beautiful day. And after an hour or two he obviously had to go back and lie down. But the bride stayed for the rest of the day And she was absolutely drunk and paralytic. And I thought to myself, you know, the only way for her to extend her joy in that situation was through alcohol. You know, she was obviously in despair, but the only way to continue her joy, there was no faith, there was no God, there was no Jesus. And then I came yesterday, and Jesus was the centre of everything. And there was great joy. And I was so moved by the whole experience of those two things, and I thought... How do people live without God in their world? What is there out there? We're living now. Is that all I've got? 34 minutes. Oh, that's not that. <laughs> it's a countdown now, is there? <laughs> Look at that. Who put that up there? <laughs> I've never seen that for the boys. Take it off. <laughs> And so, um, uh, I've lost myself now. So, so the paradox of it all, and, and we're living in a world where we are rapidly throwing off constraint and restraint. And, you know, then how can you live a life without... I didn't even want to begin. Unfortunately, it was happening right outside my window at work, and so they were playing lots of loud music and, and everything, which was fine. It was their day, but I thought to myself, how do people manage... I didn't even want to begin to try and put myself in her shoes. How do people manage without God and without Christ and without hope? No, because no matter what happens for Pete and Bev, they've got God. They've got Jesus in the centre. And we sung this morning about all our fears and all our hopes and all our failures. Well, we're underpinned by Christ. And that's the big difference. So it's been quite incredible. This morning I want to talk about, in this series of Strength and Courage... I want to talk about new wine in new wineskins. And, <clears throat> and um, I want to talk about this because I want us to consider what God has been saying to us over the last, few, um, the last few weeks, the last few months. And I think that it's really important that if we're family here, we know what God is saying. 
we went to uh, the leaders here, we went to the um, AOG conference this spring, and it wasn't because we wanted to have a jolly, although it was nice to be together. It was because we want to hear what God is saying yeah. in the nation. Yeah. We want to know what God is saying in the nation. And we as a body of Christ here in, um, in, um, in BCC, we need to know what God is saying to us here. Because if we don't know what God is saying to us here, you know, the, the, the prayer meetings, the messages on Sunday, even in the offerings, God is speaking to us. And if we don't join that all up, we won't get a sense of what God is saying to us here in the house. And it's not random. It's not random what God is saying from the platform. God is putting things in our hearts and he's joining it together. Um, <clears throat> And I think one of the best things we did was to establish our values last year because that's grounded us all. Yeah. And because we've got our values now, we're all feeding into our values. We're hearing what God is saying. Scripture says, let he who has ears to hear, hear what God is saying yeah. to the churches. He who has ears to hear. And you know, if we don't come on a regular basis... If we don't come to the prayer meetings, and I'm not, this isn't, a, a, um, you know, a, a mallet over the head, because I know some people can't. But if we don't come when we can, and if we don't um, come on Sundays when we can, and if we don't take note of what's being said, it's like going to school and, and only half the term, and you miss out half the curriculum, and then you get confused, and then you don't know what's happening. And then it all starts becoming me-focused. Oh, they've changed something. They didn't ask me. <laughs> well you weren't here and you didn't hear what God was saying and you're not on the same page and so it's really important now a few weeks ago Mark said something um, and now I can't remember Mark when you said Isaiah 37 30 whether it was in the prayer meeting or whether it was to the church can I have it up there please so I can read it I'm not going to take notice of that clock anyway <laughs> then I don't have to keep turning around thank you, that's great, thank you Luke <clears throat> did you bring this to the prayer meeting or did you bring it to the church, to the church so Mark said this year um, which is something that God had spoken to the guys a couple of years ago and just looking at that piece that we've highlighted but in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them you will tend um, vineyards and you will eat their fruit and, and the guys are saying this is where they feel God is with us now did we take that home? Did we, really, did we really chew that over? Did we really meditate on it? Because God is saying something. God is saying here that he's going to lead us into fruitfulness. Yeah. That's what he's saying. And we need to take note of that. And then last week, Ibu spoke something in the, in the uh, offering. I was so moved by what he said. And it just was another link in the chain for me when he spoke about the man who was digging in the field and he found some treasure, but he buried it again so that he could go away and buy the whole field. And that was another thing that God was saying. And he was saying the man couldn't afford the treasure, but he could afford the field. Why could he afford the field? Because the field, to buy the field is absolute surrender. To buy the treasure, which is Christ, we can never pay that price. We can never do what Jesus did. But we can have the field, because to have the field means to absolute surrender to Christ. And again, God was speaking to us. And in the prayer meeting a few weeks ago, God really spoke to me when we had that meeting over here when they were doing the cafe. And God really spoke to me. I brought it to the meeting about the fact that God wants us to reach out for what he's got in the future and draw it in. Because that's what he wants, that's what he is doing. He's setting things in place. We need to draw it in. And this last Wednesday, God, as soon, God I know when God's going to speak to me because he hits me in the foyer there as I come in. 
and I get a real sense that God's going to say something. Last last Wednesday he did, and I didn't bring it, Mark, because I thought it might come here, but God spoke to me very clearly about Noah when he sent out the raven, and he sent out the dove, and he sent out the dove, and it came back. And after seven days, he sent it out again, and this time it came back with an olive branch because it had found somewhere to rest. There was life again. There was growth again. And God spoke to me very clearly. He said, I'm looking for somewhere to land. I'm looking for somewhere to land. Like that dove who went out and, and found a place to, to rest and bring back some produce. God spoke to me. I'm look- and God is speaking to the church. God is speaking to the church. And we have to have ears to hear what God is saying. Um, <clears throat> there is no coincidence that at this time in the life of the church we're talking about strength and courage. No. Look at what's just happened in the world in the last few days. Yeah. We need strength and courage. The world is throwing off all restraint. The world is throwing off all restraint. Anything goes at the moment, and it has been for quite a while. And even in the church, things have got watered down and things have crept in. But we have to stay strong and we have to have courage in Jesus Christ. And, and, and one of the great things about God is this. He says that... Um, no, not that one, sorry. I can't blame you now, Luke, can I? <coughs> Uh, And in Isaiah it says this, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you. You see, God just doesn't suddenly do something unusual, and then everyone's going, whoa, what was that? God tells us beforehand. God told us at the conference in the spring that he wants to do unusual miracles. He wants to do unusual things. He's already begun to tell us. And if we can hear what God is saying to the church, we'll be ready for when God does what he wants to do. God doesn't spring it on us and then expect us to fathom it out. He wants us on the same page. He's telling us. He's drip-feeding it in. And that's why we have to be together, hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church so that you can get what is for you in all of this and what is your part. So this morning I want to speak about new wine in new wineskins. And this, this passage comes up in Matthew, it comes up in um, Mark, and it comes up in Luke. And it's set against a background where the scribes and Pharisees are talking with Jesus. And now they want to ask him some questions about prayer and fasting. And uh, Luke five thirty-three to 39, it says this, One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Uh, Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Um, But uh, someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. And then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch on the old. And for them the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. Um, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. Now wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old wine is just fine, they say. We are in danger of that. The scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious leaders of the day and they were often in conflict even between themselves about how they interpreted the scriptures. And so when Jesus came along they wanted to challenge him because they were the ones who deemed themselves the authority on the interpretation of the scriptures and Jewish life. 
And now Jesus comes along and he totally cuts across their thinking, their opinions, their ideas, their thoughts, and so they want to challenge him over this. And Jesus doesn't even really make much of an emphasis on the question about fasting. He starts talking about their attitude. He starts talking about their opinions, their attitudes, and how that has influenced their question. So when Jesus saw them, so whenever they saw Jesus doing something that conflicted their opinions, they wanted to challenge him. What happened was that they hadn't really grasped that Jesus was revealing himself. If they had looked through the Old Testament or the Torah as they had it, they would have seen that all through there Jesus was revealing himself. But actually when he came, when he came they didn't recognise him. And we're in danger of that too. Yes, we know Christ Jesus, but when he comes, we're in danger of not recognising him because we're not listening to what the Spirit is saying to the church. If they had realised this was the Messiah through what they had read, but they were so engrossed in their own opinions, their own interpretations, their own thoughts, their own way of life, their own frameworks and structures, they were going to challenge everything that came against it rather than open themselves up to a new thought or a new opinion or a new way of being or a new way of doing. It became a threat to them. Church, no one likes change. It becomes a threat. I've worked in the health service all my life and the only thing that's ever been consistent in the health service is change. (laughs) Constantly changing. I'm just so glad this government didn't change because I just don't think I could bear another change in the health sector. You know, we need to live with change. If we settle, we're going to be one of those people who say, the old wine is just fine, thank you. I like coming here on Sundays. I just like the family. Yeah, it's really nice. Don't shake it up. Don't do anything different. I like my comfortable way of life. I like it that I can watch three hours of TV every night and even on a Wednesday. I just love, I just love what I do. I love my life. It's comfortable. No, God wants it to change. God is doing something new. And with newness comes change. And particularly it's going to challenge our beliefs and our opinions. It's going to threaten the way we are and what we do. And the people who are most at risk are people like me who've been in this a long time. Because we're entrenched and we're settled. (laughs) I remember my father, um, before he died, he said to me one day, I don't think you'll ever get married. He said, you're too old to change. (laughs) (laughs) I said, okay, Dad. You know, whatever you think, whatever. (laughs) But I can change because I've been changing all my life. My life has been one constant change. Change from country to country, change from place to place. Change in everything that God is doing. Because if we stay the same, we're going to miss it. And in fact, in God, you can't stay the same. If you stay the same, you'll start going backwards because God's going forwards. And so we have to keep going and we have to keep going forward. Uh, Jesus was talking about a new wine being in a new wineskin. And he was saying new ways of thinking, uh, new ways of doing, and new ways of think- need new ways of thinking to be embedded in. Yeah. They do. Uh, he even went further to say that new wine must go into new wineskins or the wineskin will break. New wine must go into new wineskins or the wineskin will break. He says new patches won't even match the old garment, and the garment and the wineskin will both be ruined. If God wants to do something new in the church, and we're calling the church the wineskin, 
because scholars think, interpret this as the church is the wineskin. If the Holy Spirit is going to pour new wine into the wineskin and the church isn't going to embrace it, the church will break and there'll be a split. That's how splits happen because God comes in and wants to do something and half the congregation are not on the same page. But it says, the scripture says, new wine must have a new wineskin. Otherwise, not the wine will go sour, the skin will break. Not the wine will go sour. The Holy Spirit will not change his strength and his power and his authority. The wineskin will break. And therefore, we have to have a new wineskin, new ways of thinking and doing and being as we go on in Christ. New openness to what God wants to do. Because God wants to do some unusual things out of our concept, out of our our way of thinking. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above everything we could ask or think. So we haven't got a clue because it's going to be too big. It's going to be much bigger than God. And God wants us to be willing to be open-minded about what he wants to do. Um, So there's a risk involved. There's a risk involved for all of us and in our lives. There's a risk involved when you take new steps with God and we begin to embrace new wine and and in new wineskins. One of the big problems in humankind is that we want the fruits of change, but we don't want the effort. We can all get fired up and wouldn't it be great if God did this and this and whoa, let's see God do massive things, but actually we'll just sit here and enjoy it. (laughs) No, God wants to do it through us and God wants to do it with us and God wants us to be a part of it. God has got his church. This illustration, the wineskin is the church and so we need to therefore um, be able to embrace what God's saying. What Jesus is saying is that that because... to the scribes and Pharisees, what he was saying is, you're not going to be able to access me through your religion. You're not going to be able to access me through your rituals, through your whitewashed tomb attitude. You can only access me through Christ on the cross. You can only access the Father through Christ on the cross. And so you've got to change the way you think. And for those of us who've been around for a long time, I've been around, and I know some of you guys too, have been in the faith for many years, and we've heard many things over many years. Some taught correctly, some taught incorrectly, and we're still battling with some of those things. And there's a couple of scriptures which I want to bring to you, which I think we've misinterpreted over the years, or misunderstood over the years. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And I don't think anybody in here who's a regular would doubt that he's the way. We won't doubt that he's the truth, but how many of us are really walking in the life? How many of us are really, really embedded in everything that God wants us to be and to do? We're really embedded in the life, and many of us miss out. Jesus said he wants abundant life. How many of us are living abundant life? There's more. There's more. There's much more. There's exceedingly abundantly more. And God wants us to reach out into the abundance of all that he has for us. Um, And in our pursuit of life, I want to just bring you another couple of scriptures. The first one is this. It said, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where's your treasure? Who is your treasure? Now, I'm quite sure you'd all say, Jesus is my treasure. So let me tell you now, I bet he's not. Because where your treasure is, is where you spend most of your time. Because that's where your heart follows. 
Whatever you spend the most time on is where your treasure is. Because that's where your heart will follow. So we can say Jesus is our treasure, but actually how much time and attention do we give God in our life and in our world? Because the thing that you give most of your time to, most of your thoughts to, most of your life revolves around is where your treasure is. Jesus will only become your treasure when you give him much more of your life, much more of your time and attention. And then your mind automatically goes to him. Your mind automatically switches to the scriptures. Your mind automatically knows what to do in trial and temptation and failure because he's your treasure. You know, your treasure is what you look at most. Your treasure is where you spend your time. Your treasure is what gives you your delights in life. Where's your treasure? Unless he is your treasure, your heart isn't going to be there. Your default isn't going to be towards him. Another scripture which I think we have misinterpreted in life is, uh, is Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We just miss off the first bit and say God's going to give you the desires of your heart. Okay, let me dream up lots of desires and see if God will give them to me. And then when he doesn't, we get disappointed. Why doesn't God give me my desire? He knows I want this. God knows I want this. Why doesn't he give me my desire? Well, because your desire is in the wrong context. It says delight yourself in God. Delight yourself in him. Then he will give you desires. Delight yourself in him and he will give you desires of your heart. The Bible says that the right desires of the righteous will be fulfilled. So God will give us desires. And when we know that they're God-given desires, then we know that they're going to be fulfilled. Delight yourself in him. Make him your treasure so that everything in life goes through the lens of Jesus. And then you delight yourself in him and then he gives you desires because he knows what's in you and the potential in you of what he can do. I say, I am living my dream because all my life I've said, God, give me what you want to bring out of me because I believe you've already put it in me. So I'm living my dream. Everything I do, I love. That's not because I dreamed up my desires. I don't trust myself to choose. I'd much rather God chose for me because he knows my potential. So when God gives me a desire and I follow through on that, I know it's going to happen. Why? Because I've delighted myself in him. He's given me the desire because his desires, his thoughts are not our thoughts, are they? You can dream up your own desires if you like and struggle with them, but actually they might not be fulfilled. And if they are, they're going to be probably through your own making. God's ways are much higher than ours and we have to learn to trust him. Our desires are linked to worldly things. Give me more this, give me more that. But God's desires are linked to heavenly things. And God wants to give us the desires of our heart. He wants to put desires into our heart so that he can fulfill them. And when God does that, the glory goes to him and not to us. I don't think I could dream up the kind of desires God has for me and wants for me. I need to get them from him. Um, <clears throat> and it's preempted by delight yourself in God. And God says, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek God for desires for more of this and more of that. Let him just add it to you. Yeah, come on. Seek first the kingdom of God. Delight yourself in him. Make him your treasure. And then he's going to give you everything else anyway. <clears throat> and he'll give it to you according to what you love because he knows you through and through. The desires of the righteous shall be, de- shall be granted. How do we know we're righteous? Well, righteous, we know we're righteous. Right standing in God through Christ Jesus. So I know I'm righteous, not in my own self. I'm righteous in Jesus. 
So when Jesus gives me the desires, when I delight in him, then they're going to be fulfilled because of him. We have to trust him. We have to truly believe that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. When God knit me together in my mother's womb, he put in me everything I needed for life and godliness. He's done it for you too. You're ready-made. You came ready-made. Everything God has for you, for your future, all you young people, it's in you already. It is in you already. The seed is already inside the apple to grow another tree. It's in you already. Everything I'm doing now is as a result of everything I've done through my life. And God has guided me and led me through my desires because I've delighted myself in him. It's already in you. Start bringing it out. Let God bring it out of you, what he's already got in you. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. When people say to me, oh, we came from monkeys, I say to them, well, you might have done. (laughs) You might have done, but I didn't. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm, I'm perfectly put together. God spent a long time on me and a long time on you. He spent time on the cross so that you would be fearfully and wonderfully made and complete in him, having everything you need for life and for godliness. So, what we do best, what we do best for God will rise out of the core being he has created within us. What we do best for God will rise out of the core being of what he's already put in us. And so, Uh, In the parable of the talents, you realise the man with two talents and the man with five talents were both esteemed equally. It's not about whether you've got as much as me or as much as Mark or as much as someone else. You're not to compare yourselves to anyone. It's what has God put in you. You might be a two-talent, you might be a five-talent, but God is esteeming you the same. It's only the man with one talent who buried it that got grief. It doesn't matter how much you've got, God wants you to use it. We will be held accountable for our talents. We will be held accountable. God is going to say to us one day, what did you do with what I gave you? What did did you do with what I gave you? We are not going to be held accountable for what others expect us to be. If somebody else is shaping your life, and I'm not saying you shouldn't let your parents guide you, I'm not saying that at all, but if somebody else, as an adult, is shaping your life and you're trying to be a chameleon to be everything to everybody else... You're not accountable for that. You're only accountable to God for what God has made you. And as we move, as we move forward in all that God has for us in BCC, we need to know where we fit and how we can prepare for what God is going to do. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I'd forgotten actually temporarily that it was prayer and fasting, but this is perfect for prayer and fasting. I want you to take these questions into your prayer and fasting week and I want you to ask yourself these questions. I did this for myself in 2008 and it's come, m- much of it has already helped me to find what God wants me to do, although I probably already knew. I'm gonna, I want you to take these questions and to ask yourself these questions so it will help you to discover what's unique about you, where do you fit, what does God want from you, and what has God put in you. <clears throat> so the first question is, what do you value most? Ask yourself, what do I value most? And when I did this, I wrote down things like my family, my friends, my health, my work, my church, I value money, having, having enough money. I value time alone. There are lots of things that I value. So sit down and think. And I didn't do this in a day. I did this over a month. And I thought, what do I value most? Sit down and think about what do you value most? 
And then think about what are your strengths. Now, one of the things that I often hear people say is, oh, you know, I don't want to boast. Well, just put that to one side <coughs> and think about your strengths. Because if we can't, if we're not self-aware and if we aren't able to evaluate ourselves, then it's, you know, it's a pretty poor show, really. <coughs> so um, what are my strengths? What do I do well? What are my strengths? Well, I wrote down things for myself like loyalty and faithfulness. I wrote down things like teaching. I'm a very organised person. That's a strength. I used to take it for granted. I used to think everybody was organised until I, until I met a few other people. <laughs> you know, I'm an organised person. That's a strength. I always plan ahead, think ahead. I'm quite practical. I'm very practical. I know how to fix things in my house. It's great. I had a leak under my bath and I took a picture of it and I went to the plumber's merchant and I showed them my picture and I said, what do I need to fix this? And he gave me a packet of pipes and things. And, <laughs> and I took it home and I went on YouTube and I found how to do it and I did it. Whoa. <laughs> and then I had a leak in the toilet. <laughs> so I took a picture and I took it to the plumber's merchant and I said, what do I need? And he gave me some pipes and some screws and some taps and I went on YouTube and I found a picture, I found how to do it, and I did it. Whoa! I'm very impressed. I have a strength. Why? Because I'm organised and I'm a logical thinker. That's a strength. And I've saved hundreds of pounds in the process. I'm a logical thinker, it's a strength. What are your strengths? What can you do? <clears throat> Is it that you've got strong faith? Is it, I never give up, that's one of my strengths. It's also a bit of a weakness at times, but I never give up. My motto is never say never. I keep going. <clears throat> I want to find a way through. It's a strength. What are your strengths? Sit down and consider before God. What are your strengths? What are you passionate about? What do you care about? Now take your religious hat off when you do this. What do you care about in this world? What do you care about? Because God cares about everything. So don't think religious, don't think church, don't think what would fit into my diary. Think, what am I passionate about? What really excites me when I think about it? What really excites me and motivates me my whole life is to see people's lives change. I love that more than anything. When I see people's lives change, because I know that God's the only one who's able to change lives, so God is at work. So what are you passionate about? What do you really, really care about? and sit down and write things um, down. Um, I'm really passionate about influencing change, and that's why I'm not afraid of change. <laughs> so you've probably got the wrong person up here. But I'm not afraid of change. I'm, um, <clears throat> I love to see people reach their potential. And of course, you re to reach your potential, there has to be change. So what do you deeply care about in life? In life, not in church in life because God wants to reach out beyond these four walls yeah. God wants to reach out beyond our religiousness yeah. he wants to reach out beyond our theological thinking yeah. he wants to reach out Jesus walked and talked in the highways and the byways yeah. and that opens us up to anything what are you passionate about what are you really what do you really really care about and then I ask yourself question of how am I wired what comes naturally to me because we're all wired slightly differently. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not like her. Well, that's great. You don't have to be. And I'm not like you. How are you wired? What comes naturally to you? 
And it's really important that we know what comes naturally. Because when something comes naturally to you, it's not an effort. When something comes naturally to you, it energises you. If I said to um, Adam, could you just come up and play the piano? He'd just say, yeah, and he'd get up and he wouldn't be stressed. And he'd, you know, if I said, Mark, could you come play the piano? He'd be be going, uh, how do you you set this on auto? You know, when you do something that comes naturally to you, then when someone says, or God says, could you do this? You say, yeah. Because it doesn't stress you. It's the way you're wired. It's something that is easy for you to do. And God will make a space for you. So you need to know how you're wired. You need to know what comes naturally to you. What have I achieved? And where are my competencies? Go back over your life. What have you achieved? And where are your competencies? You might be a great mother. You might be a great father. You might be great in the work that you do. Don't underestimate anything. Just sit down and think, what have I achieved in life? Well, I've achieved even getting to this age. That's an achievement. I've achieved staying healthy. I've achieved a few things in my work. I've achieved (coughs) um, um, making my parents proud. I've achieved all sorts of things. And you need to sit down and ask yourself, what have you achieved? Where are your competencies? Because God wants to use us in our competencies. God wants to use what he's already put inside of us. And I think most of us don't realise what God has put inside of us. And we need to find out. And then we need to ask ourselves, what am, I, what am I good at that really excites me? Your passion and your competence. And you put those two together and that's exactly where God wants you to function. Put your passion and your competence together. Now, sometimes with a competence, we're not as good as we could be and that's really because we haven't exercised it. But if you've got a basic competence in something like everything, you need to exercise it, you need to grow it, you need to develop it. But God will want to use you where you're passionate and where you're competent. And he's already put that in you. And you'll probably find that you're developing it without even realising it. So if I use Adam for an example again, as he grew up, I'm I'm sure his parents kind of made him practice, but he had to have an initial desire to play the piano to get where he's got to now. It's his passion. It's his passion and it's now his competence. And therefore he functions in it and God uses him. And God anoints him and God uses him in that. Why? Because he's been willing to develop his confidence, but it came out of his passion. And we need to understand what we're passionate about. The church basically is far too rigid in what we think we can do. And I think God wants us to do, reach out much more into the world to people. And so we need to know what we're passionate about and we need to know what we're good at. And then we need to know how can I create the capacity to achieve this. And in 2008, I was working one day a week for the church. And so, because I then had my plan of what I wanted to do, I decided that I would give up that one day a week for the church because I needed to make some more capacity in my life in order to do what I felt God was calling me to do. So we sometimes then have to sit down and think, okay, how can I create the capacity to achieve this in my life? Because do you know what? When we're functioning out of things that we are passionate about and we have the competence to do, we are motivated to do them and we are energised by doing them. I work incredibly hard. I work sometimes 60 hours a week and I'm sure some of you do too. And although I get physically tired, I get really motivated and excited about it. Because it's not about how many hours I get paid for. Because I don't work for God for money. I work for him because it's my service for him. 
So whether I'm actually sitting at my desk doing it, or whether I'm at home doing it, or whether I'm out somewhere else doing it, I'm doing what God has called me to do. But I am so, um, I am so energised by it. When you're functioning in what God's called you to do, it energises you. So don't start thinking, well, how on earth am I going to fit all this into my life? Make capacity. Something else will have to go. Something else that is, not your, that is your treasure at the moment that shouldn't really be your treasure needs to go so that you can make capacity for what God's calling you to. So Corinthians says this, the spiritual gift is given to each one of us as a means for helping the entire church. That's not just the people we've got now, that's the people who are to come. The entire church. This is part of our preparation to be strong and to courageous, to know who we are and what resource we've got in here that God can use. It's for the entire church. It's for the church that's out there that yet is to come in to this place. Dallas Willard said this. If any of you have ever read any of Dallas Willard, he's died now, but he's an incredibly inspiring Christian man. He said, The abundance of God in our lives is not passively received or imposed and does not happen to us by chance. It is claimed and put into action by our active, intelligent pursuit of it. You don't grow in your gifting by osmosis. You don't grow in your gifting. I won't become a better pianist by sitting next to Adam. (laughs) If I want something to change in my life, then I have to actively and intelligently pursue it. God has given the wise common sense. And we have to actively pursue it. We have to actively seek out what God wants us to do. Hebrews 11 says this, and I'm going to finish. It says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. In the King James it says substance. Faith is substance. Faith is something very real. Faith is a substance. And that word means, in the original Hebrew, Greek, sorry, it means to underpin. It means to underpin like a building. It means to setting under, to support. So our faith is going to underpin what we do. Our faith is going to enable us to move forward. I believe God has new wine for us. I really do believe God has new wine for us. But we have to be prepared to embrace the new wineskin, collectively and individually. I believe that new concepts, new ways of doing, new ways of being, finding our fit, discovering our place, paying our part, not in the church, but in God's perspective of what he wants the church to be. It's not necessarily saying we need more people for the cafe or we need more people for this or that. What we need is everybody to be rising up with the potential that God has put in them. Come and tell Mark, I've got a passion for this. I've got a passion for that. And I'm sure that as the guys come together, they'll begin to see what God is putting in people's hearts, the passion in people's hearts for what he wants to do. Church, let's not be people who say the old wine is just fine. (laughs) The old wine is just not fine because God's got new wine for us. Amen. Amen.